0: we have to be prepared to become marginal. We are the margin today. We're not, I mean, the point is, a, a lot of Christians, they live under the delusion that we're still at the center of
1: society. Yeah, this is so that, interesting, yes.
0: And, 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 oh, we have to save society. Sorry, society was lost at least 100 years ago, if not more. I, I personally believe that the old world was, I mean, died for good in World War I. That's my personal opinion. World War, I, world War I was like the shot to the head, to the, to the world, you know?
1: Hello, welcome to, why are we talking about rabbits? Rabbits run around on the internet and often we, ca- we catch ourselves talking about them when we really should just be ignoring them. So on this show, we grab a rabbit and then we take a look at the deep implications of the idea that may or may not be of importance. Because all these ideas, if we take a stop and look, well, they can teach us something. Today we talk about Brazil, the country of, its history, its past, and we do it with Fabio Leche, which of course is my pronunciation of his Portuguese name. He's a philosopher of sorts, well, he is a philosopher, he's a... holds a Master in Divinity from Hellenic College. He's in Brazil. He's uniquely qualified to tell us about this old world, new world divide there, but really he's uniquely qualified to tell us about something very, very, very particular to the old world, which is this idea of eclectic culture, of the synchronistic tendency to unite things in one. And I think you'll love this conversation. It's very important, especially if you're like Olavo de Carvalho, a recently deceased philosopher from Brazil who was very controversial. We get into that and a lot of his ideas into race, especially in the notion of race in Brazil. Check it out. On Watar this week, Fabio, Fabio Lin Leche talking to us about the syncretic nature of Brazil. Right on, Fabio. Welcome to uh, thank you our show about rabbits. It's really good to have you. You're coming to us from Rio in Brazil. Everyone back in the States is like, wow, that would be great. That would be great to be in Rio. Is it great to be in Rio?
0: Yeah, sort of. So today, at least it's cloudy, it's rainy. So it's not what people would expect, but more most of the all the time it's it's very good
1: <laughs> so is true even in brazil that rio has a sort of a a designation as the great destination of brazil do brazilians want to go to rio y- yes yes for sure i mean a lot of people want to come here uh we
0: are we we are the city that shows up the most in tv soap operas so it's super glamorized. Uh, everybody wants to come here. Yeah.
1: Well, so they don't go there to talk philosophy, but you and I are going to do that today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked at some of your stuff. We've been talking uh, as sort of Orthodox philosopher friends. You know, my brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about your sort of study of theology and philosophy and who you are and how you got to where you are in Brazil, which is not exactly, you know, famous for orthodox circles of human no, relationships. It's
0: not. it's not, I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, according to the last census, I think 2010, there are more Buddhists in Brazil than orthodox. And so uh, it's it's not a, a very big circle, but uh, my, my personal story, it's it's very Brazilian in a way. I mean, I, was, I went to a Roman catechism when I was a child, so, I had uh, First Communion, chrismation, uh, there, everything. Um, but when I became a teenager, uh, I started studying about spiritualism in general. And um, I, I became a Cardassist, which is the branch of Spiritism that is very strong here in Brazil. I mean, there are far more uh, Cardassists than you have Buddhists, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and it's a, it's a French, it's a French uh, branch. Uh, Allan Kardec was the founder of this and uh, it was very successful in Brazil in the late 19th century because at that time, uh, France was the reference of culture and mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. and um, and it it it, it it really, it really uh, uh, grew here. Uh, anyway, after what, some time. What yeah. did it
1: look like to well, practice or to be a part of that spiritist movement?
0: You study a lot because uh, the, the cardicists, uh, the, first they don't like to be called cardicists because Alan Kardec, he, he's actually the one who created the word spiritism. In all of the other languages, if you see the etymology, it comes from French, and the person who uh, started using spiritism in this sense was Allan Kardec, so he's like the, the 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 founder of the of, of the word, even of the word. So mm-hmm. so Kardecists they 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 like to say we are we are the spiritist. and the other the other ones are they are something else. I see, but of course the word spiritist uh, actually. Uh, now it's an umbrella thing that you have different beliefs under it. So, to be more specific to the original thing, it's better to say Cardasist. But anyway, I see. So, he, he, was, he was a pedagogue and, uh, and he was very much a positivist. I mean, uh, following Kant, but French positivism more than the British positivism. And French positivism is far more social, it's more concerned with social sciences than with the, the the hard sciences and um and that and 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 so you study a lot you read a lot uh you go to to talks you go to lectures to courses uh and 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 i mean it's true i mean they have very good sense of morality most of the time i mean there are one or two things that you want may disagree with them but I mean they they are on the pro life boat they are uh most of the important issues they are on the right side so uh it's 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 not entirely bad only that I mean you're actually invoking spirits every now and then <laughs> but, what kind of
1: spirits so this is interesting
0: uh it depends uh because because it, it is a very european thing even though it's brazilianized today i mean you never uh, uh, they, what, what they say is there are no such things as gods, demons, angels, none of this. Uh, it's all dead people. So, uh, mm-hmm. but some dead people actually evolve to become spirits of light. And and, the peop- and and the demons are the basically the people who are demonic in life. I mean, we know some people, who, I mean, they are evil sure. in life. And, and 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 say, Oh, these are the ones who when they die, they act as demons. They they basically continue doing their thing, you
1: know? Um See it. this is kind yeah. of why I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. So that feels like almost a perfect fusion of this notion of old world spiritual realities with a new world epistemology mm-hmm. about. Evolution or something fascinating. Okay, we'll get we'll get back to that, but Brazil is gonna do this over and over again where it does syncretism. syncretism. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean the every every society has a founding myth, right? Every society has a founding myth. So the West in general, the founding myth is the fall of Rome. I mean, you don't have West if you don't have a society that believes that Rome fell in the fifth century. That's one of the reasons why. The West has so much problem with uh, Orthodoxy and and the Byzantine world world because Orthodoxy and, and and Constantinople and Russia they their founding myths are completely different. I mean, Rome didn't fall, didn't fall. So the, and, and this is utterly uh, uh, orderly for the West. Mm-hmm. Rome fell and everything in the West comes from that. Uh, for America, it's the independence and everything, all the ideas related to the independence, ideas of liberty and everything. And, and and for Brazil, the founding myth is the myth. And I'm using myth here not as a lie. I'm using myth sure. as a symbol. Okay. Um, so the founding myth is the myth of miscegenation, that that the um, that the, the white Portuguese and the native Indians and and the Blacks, uh, although there were conflicts, um, there was much more mixture. And it's true. I mean, yesterday night, I was watching one of those videos with my father here about history. And and it was a video that was coming up all the wars that Brazil was involved in as a colony, as a colony, 40 wars. And uh, many of these, you have the Portuguese and the Indians together fighting someone else. Sometimes other Indian tribes, sometimes the French, and uh, uh, or the Spanish. But uh, there, there is one battle in particular that's very famous. We studied that when we were in school. It's called the, 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 the Battle of Guararapes, And um, it was in the 17th century. And it was a period where the um, the, the 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 crown of Portugal the, they didn't have any heirs, so Portugal was absorbed by Spain peacefully, just due to bloodlines, right? And uh, and in these periods, um, Spain actually didn't care much about Brazil because they knew it was a Portuguese thing, and they they probably knew that. Portugal would eventually get independent again, so who cares what's happening there. Mm -hmm. And so, but it was from the point of view of the colony, it was a point of weakness. And the Dutch took the opportunity and they invaded the Northeast and they took some, uh, actually, a very large area in the Northeast. And it's called, it's even called the Dutch period of of, of the Northeast. And they stayed there, I think, for 60 years or something. And and the 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 settlers, people who were here, they they, they were asking the king, who, who was a Spanish king, please help us. We need help to get rid of the Dutch. And the king was, ah, who cares? They don't. Not not me. I mean, I'm getting I'm getting gold from other places. Yeah. You know that don't give me trouble. And uh, so it was the first time that uh, you had the the local white Portuguese and Indian tribes, and black slaves, who all hated the Dutch. So they fought together to um, to drive the, the Dutch out. And so and, uh, that- And this one, I, I mean, okay, go on. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and, and this battle is considered the first battle, I mean, it's considered the, first, the battle that formed the Brazilian army, and the first Brazilian army, and And it's the one that defines the identity of the country because it's the first time that everybody's together against one common enemy
1: and so this is the uh, theme this is the theme I get again and again from Brazilian friends, Brazilian history is that there is there's some sort of positivity in unity and um, sort of blending so blending becomes a theme right so i want you to talk about that because i know that we in our previous conversations you know about this Mm -hmm. particular philosophical idea but from the outside we americans look and we think well there was slavery so Mm -hmm. that's not a blending that's a type of you know that's a that that's a that's a type of hate that uh creates the other so how how do the Portuguese understand slave, or how do the Brazilians understand slavery as a part of this syncretism?
0: Because it's, j- just before we go into that, which is a very interesting thing, uh, just a, a final comment about this battle of the Northeast sure, sure. And the, ex- the expulsion of the Dutch, which is uh, the the reason why, one of the reasons you have New York as New York, it's because the Jews who lived in this Dutch colony, when they were expelled in this battle, they went to New Amsterdam. So mm-hmm. if you go to the first synagogue of New York, there are lots of Portuguese and Brazilian names there. Because the, the, the first Jews of New Amsterdam, I mean, the, in math, not the very first, but the first group of Jews in New Amsterdam, they were Brazil, uh, Spanish, Brazilian, Portuguese who were expelled in this war. Wow. So So, I mean, everything connects, you know.
1: It does. Uh, The colonial period has these crazy seeds, right, where they just, everything's blown to the wind, but
0: Yeah. And anyway, so, I mean, talking about this blending and slavery, um, I I would start with slavery because, I mean, when I I was in the United States, I lived there for uh, three years and a half when I was in the seminary, Holy Cross. Um, And but I noticed that people kind of with the blame in Brazil? Brazil is horrible because it was the last country to abolish slavery. And of course, we, we were the largest um, slave trading colony and country when it came into independence. And people kind of blame us as if, I mean, nothing was happening. I mean, and, and that's not true. That's not true. I mean, you had two ways of, of, of ending slavery. I mean, like the United States did with the boom, I mean, you, you do a war. And you okay? Let's end it. And there was a cost to this war, that people know there was a cost to this war. Brazil didn't couldn't afford to have a civil war in the nineteenth century because it was uh, the very beginning of its independence. Mm-hmm. So, um, but Brazil had a very gradual. When when we abolished for good slavery in eighteen eighty eight, and it was a Catholic princess, Princess Isabel um and when she did that she uh we already had the major not majority but a very large number of freed black people because the the uh, the, the process in brazil was gradual so in the first half of the 19th century you have several laws that for example there was one law that said that the 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 children of slaves were free by the you had other one, uh, other laws that said when slaves get to sixty years old, they are free, by default. So it was not that we had full-blown slavery up to 1888, but I mean, people who were in—I mean—and that's again that shows what we were talking about—the blending because Brazil is very against uh, radical measures. Oh, let's yes, okay, this is wrong. Let's do is wrong. Let's do a war and end this. They say, no, 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 no. The cost of war is too big. I mean, so the there's wars-
1: an argument in American history that the Civil War yeah. could have been avoided in the way that Brazil did by phasing out slavery, but that we have a Puritan past. We have, yes. a, right, we've inherited a black and white worldview, which also I think many people, I would associate that with, the enlightenment, the idea of true and false, being very Mm -hmm. clear and mathematical. And we inherited a lot of this idea and it led us to a war, that's one argument. The other Mm -hmm. argument is that we did what was right in order to purge America of its original sin. But in Brazil, that's not the conversation being had because of this centrism and syncretism. Would you argue it that way?
0: Yes, there, there is a uh, he's a I, I don't know if he's a sociologist or he's just an intellectual. I think he's an intellectual called Paulo Mercadante. Paulo Mercadante, he wrote a book called "The Mind of Political Conservativism in Brazil," and and he says that the the the, the native conservatism uh, is founded on three pillars: philosophical ecletism, so you have to be a I mean, so you, you you don't I mean you study all the schools, but you never adopt only one. It's that's stupid. That's the stupid thing to do. Because it's the elephant theory. I mean, anyone who chooses a, one piece of the elephant is stupid by the four. I mean, you've chosen one part, don't you have to choose you have you have to be a cleric in everything. I see. Uh uh the the other one. It's positivism, I mean, I mean, it's not that, it's no longer, uh, let's say, full-blown positivism, but you can feel positivist tendencies in how people um, take some large-scale decisions. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, and that, that was very clear, for example, during the pandemic. I mean, science trumps everything else. And that's an argument that sticks very easily. In Brazil. Uh, Brazil, yes. And, and the other one is pragmatism. Yes, I, I saw this coming. Yeah, pragmatism. Pragmatism says, I mean, you are, I mean, Puritanism from this perspective is is a form of mania. I mean, why? Why I would not take the most... Opportunistic right. possible decision just because of you know abstractions and crazy stuff. No, let's let let's be pragmatic. And um it's very and so purity, I mean, and it's very ironic because today we have um all these let's say very very clear European-American style of liberalism here in Brazil in certain circles. But this is very foreign to, let's say, what is traditional in terms of, for example, when you have uh, these racial ideas that actually come from, from the United States, um, up to the 90s, you had the census had more than 100 words. When they asked, What, what is your color? there were more than 100, 100 different answers because people would say uh, white, dark white. Black, chocolate, brown, uh, and 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 they had all Wait, these
1: very. I cool think I have colors. a favorite. Dark white. I like dark yeah. white. That's 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 a category in Brazil. I love that.
0: No, it could have been. I mean, it was. I mean, there is a list, and anyone can can find that on the internet uh, of the answers of the most common answers people gave up to the nineties in census. It was never today. Today you only have white, black. Pardo, which is mestizo, and uh, Indian, others. That's it. That's it. This is this is totally anti-Brazilian, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of race. And you were talking also about, I mean, so uh, and 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 slavery also during the colony. One thing that's interesting about how the Portuguese uh, managed their colonies many times. The people who had—I mean—the people who were actually governing the colonies—they were mestizos themselves because that was the, the Portuguese official state strategy. Go there, make as many children as you can with the natives,
1: and then let your children, your clan, govern uh, yeah. the place. Just for our listeners, mestizo—it's it, mixed, but it was a yeah, particular yes. type of mix. Would a mestizo be someone who was? Is- the child of a, a black African and a Native American? Would they also No, that,
0: that, I, no that's in Spanish. In Brazil, the word mestiço means any kind of mix. Anytime. Any kind of,
1: yeah, that's helpful. Brazil,
0: in Portuguese, in Brazilian Portuguese. So for, if you have a mestiço of a black and a white, he's a mulato, um. OK? Uh, and you have others. You have caboclo, mameluke, uh, and there are many words because there are many combinations. I don't remember them all, but most of the people, I mean, today you would call them, you um,
1: would call them mestizo, just mestizo. Yeah. And so, in this sense, racism is different in in Brazil. Yes,
0: yeah. There was uh, there was uh, during when, when we had real fascism in the forties um, in Europe, the 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 local equivalent actually praised the 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 mestizo as the ideal race. They said. If you're just white, if you're just black, if you're just Indian, you're lacking.
1: Wow. You're lacking. That was wow. That was the cultural milieu during the fascist movement of the 40s in Europe. And so there was already a movement towards something like the middle. That's so interesting. And so that was the t- that was purity in Brazil was yeah. a proper mix. No, yeah, they would not accept the word purity. Purity is bad. Yeah, I'm trying to write superimpose it, but yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Wow, that's for Americans. This is fascinating stuff. It what does it take the pressure out of the the race conversation? Because there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of um tent, uh, you know, anxiety around this conversation in America. Is it less no, so unpleasant? today?
0: No, today we have that, but it comes from outside. And and but the point is a lot of the people in, among the intellectuals, the journalists—I mean, the usual suspects. You know, the people who are who are involved in this kind of global elite. I see. I mean, even if they are the the, the ground soldiers of the global elite, they they're all into that. They're all into that. I mean, you have you have, but but it's funny because I mean, it, it still can, it, it doesn't stick because, um, if you do genetic tests in Brazil. Even people who look white, like I do, you will find uh, black jeans, Indian jeans, mm-hmm. uh, even among the Portuguese. Because people forget that Portugal is just like, it, it's just near Africa. I mean, it's just a, a, a leap from Africa. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the Moors were there. I mean, the, 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 the Moors were there. So there were Arabs and North Africans who were in Iberia. And uh, and for example, my, my father, he took a, one of those genetic tests. And uh, my father is born in Portugal and he has North African uh, genes. And um, and my mother, she, I mean, she also took, she, I mean, because she, her family has been in Brazil for far longer. I mean, she has Portuguese, she has Spanish, she has North African, she has Indian, She has, I mean, Amazonic Indian and also Incan Indian. So it's-
1: Let's do this real quick. Let's take a break and when we come back, we'll pick up on the relevance of this blending to the global sort of agenda and how they Mm -hmm. go together. And we'll talk about your philosophy in terms of how how you entered Orthodoxy. Hi, it's John. You know, if you've ever thought about doing Peace Corps, don't well you can think about it but don't do it check us out at www.first-things.org and come join us for two years in the field and if you've never thought about doing peace corps but you wanted to do something that will oh challenge you check us out www.first-things.org field workers are the lifeblood of our work when we send somebody all kinds of reality is revealed When we send someone into the field and they live hard, but they live close to the bone, close to the culture in which they are hoping to assist, that person reveals beauty. And they do it by uniting themselves to interesting people in very isolated localities who want to do incredible things in their own community. Then our people build capacity for their ideas. You should be one of our people. This is an ask, come join First Things Foundation. Go into the field, change your life, but most of all, challenge yourself and you won't regret it. Okay, so (laughs) talk to me about about the idea of blending, syncretism and race. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not all the same concept in Brazil, right?
0: No, not at all. I mean, let, let's start with race. With I think it's people love the word problematic. I think race is a very problematic concept mm-hmm. because uh, before the Enlightenment and before um, and before uh, the, the imperial periods of the West. I mean, you don't think, you don't see anyone talking those terms. So the concept of race really starts thriving in in the 19th century as the justification for imperialism. Why can we go to Africa and do all the things that we are doing? Oh, evolution. I mean, people people forget that racism is profoundly based on on, on the scientific concept of evolution. Absolutely. Because people say today people have inverted this because they say, "Oh, humanity started in Africa." So Let's all honor our cradle continent. But that's not how it started. When they started saying humanity started in Africa, they were saying this because you could say, therefore, their last evolved. Therefore, we are more evolved because we came afterwards.
1: Because so, the Africans stayed closest to the. Yeah. the 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 deepest un, unevolved or devolved people. And yes. after that comes all the full evolution. Yeah, I get it.
0: Yeah, so that's how the concept of race started and added and justification for colonialism. And uh, so race, it's not that people before didn't have xenophobia, but that's, that's it before. It was just your old-fashioned provincial xenophobia,
1: you right. know? Outsider bad, insider good, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, but racism as such is a
0: product of the scientific mentality, it's a product of, of, of it's a corollary almost of the idea of evolution, and um, so <clears throat> the so race and, and today we know that biologically you don't have races. Right. There is, there, there, there is no significant genetic. Because, for example, in Portuguese, this is interesting. In Portuguese, the words "breed" and "race" it's the same word. Breed, breed, like you have dog breeds.
1: Yeah, right.
0: right? So in Portuguese, you have you say that we you, you, you don't have a different word. There are dog races, but the point is, dogs they really have breeds. They really have races because. You know, a, a Doberman is completely different from, you know, a Chihuahua or right, right, know, right. or something like that. And, and and there are observable genetic genetic differences between the the breeds, right? And this does not exist among humans. So we, I mean, we, you can say that there are cat races, there are dog races, but there are the cow races, but you don't have human races. This is I mean, the concept of race is just an; ex- it has always been and only serves this purpose to create divisions among people and to justify some form uh, of exploitation and abuse.
1: So that, that the concept that an African is a different race than, say, a European, you and I know that historically that's a justification. You can we could trace that as history, people that. But what do you make of the differences? Um, but the early, the the early race theorists and the race scientists like Lamarck and France, they put a ton of emphasis on the idea of different hair, like an African, you know, the the hair is different than the the, the skull structure. Mm-hmm. What do we say about that then? That they're yeah, so they're... minor that they're not relevant.
0: Yes, precisely because. I mean, they're, they're very local adaptations, very and very minor adaptations. Uh, I mean, uh, here, anyone who stays, I mean, because, because there was some, I mean, that's what people say uh, um, in terms, uh, one of the counter arguments against uh, evolution is precisely that, that there is adaptability. So for example, a lot of people here in Brazil if they stay long a long time in the sun they don't get red or pink they get browner <laughs> right but i mean if you ch- analyze uh some of the portuguese especially the, who live in the north of portugal they get pink so what happens in the process very simple i mean the 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 worms that were more fragile they died of skin cancer <laughs> in the process <laughs> Right, but this is an adaptation. I mean, you you can't. These changes can happen in a couple of generations. I mean, mestizos they are they they are proof of that. I mean, if you have black and white, you have somebody who is in between, in in one generation. And so,
1: and, and, so, and so the notion in Brazil is not necessarily, it's not the racial distinctions that we make in the United States. It's different now. Talk to me about blending then. So, it's is it that is it that red, let's just use these dumb terms for one second because I think Americans operate in these terms even when they're not trying to. It's oh. red, white and black. Oh. It's not that in Brazil they're creating some new racial identity. It's just that they live together in a way that race is not enmity. Is that would that be an accurate way to describe Brazil and race?
0: I think there's no, the blend is more than coexistence. I mean, you really have uh, families. I mean, I I have in my family, I have black people. I I had one cousin, he passed away, but he was white, blonde, blue eyes. And the other cousin was black. And I have cousins who are brown. And I have cousins with straight uh, black hair, like Indians. And I have uh, cousins with curly hair. So in the same family, in the same family. So uh, there is an actual genetic blending. It's more than coexisting. And of course, that doesn't mean that you don't have uh, more blacks among the the poor, but the point is, are they black or are they mestizos? Mm -hmm. Because for example, the point is, for an American standard, if you're not white, white, for three generations, you're not white. Nobody's that, I mean, I, I doubt that there's anyone who is three generations in only one race. Nobody is, nobody is. So everybody's black, I'm black. I, so, I have more than 2% of black
1: in my genetics. Right, so. and so that was one of my questions, but now this does something to the Brazilian character, to, mm. to the self-identification, right? This does something mm. about informing the culture. This mm-hmm. this reality. Yes, definitely. I mean that, that reflects in the culture,
0: precisely with this idea of um, of identifying eclecticism, syncretism uh, with tolerance and uh, a, a, an ideal, even an intellectual ideal, and that's very problematic for you know, certain religions, and it's very problematic for certain philosophies because um, even though you, you you can and should be tolerant of many things uh, and baptized many things, for example, from an Orthodox perspective, <clears throat> uh, there, are, there are boundaries. And, and the point is, Brazilians are very suspicious of these boundaries. I mean, it's 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 like you're you're setting a boundary there. You probably you're probably up to something.
1: You're Give us an example of a boundary yeah. that would like to be a Christian is to be baptized. Done. If you're not baptized, you're not a Christian. Is that a boundary that would upset Brazilians?
0: Probably, but for example, the most common, and I can say this because I mean there are many Roman priests and Roman bishops here they are on campaign to tell people you can't go to mass on Sunday and go to candomblé, it's the santeria,
1: on Monday. The, the local, the 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 traditional religion santeria, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, but we don't call that because that's a Central America thing. Here it's candomblé. candomblé. Say it again. And candomblé, candomblé. I got it. And, and it's very interesting because the candomblé that we have here, it's also syncretic because, mm-hmm. I mean, when they brought this, I mean, if you go to, to Africa where you still have, you have uh, pagan tribes, each tribe has their god. They, they accept that there are many gods, but they only worship one. When they brought the slaves, they start they mix the tribes. They were very smart. They said, we don't want rebellions. Let's mix the tribes and put the different tribes in the same farm. But the point is, then they started worshiping the many orishas together. So, what happens here in Brazil is actually considered heretical for Africa. You shouldn't be doing this. You know? It's wild.
1: But anyway, which is also uh, an example of the old world. Uh Having its own constructs, its own reality, right? Its own sort of spiritual reality that was also broken apart, which is really fascinating. And I think that's a the the character of the old world, is that everything is always it's very it's very structured, but it has a willingness to sort of bend. And in the Mm -hmm. new world, the scientific inclination makes it really hard for us to imagine that something can actually bend in a way and remain true. I don't think we do that well, but anyway, go ahead. I interrupted
0: you. Yeah. No, no problem. And, and um, it, it's interesting because the, the problem is science only works when it's not informing society and politics. It shouldn't be that. Science helps to create technology. And and OK, you, you talked about one of the philosophers that I know, Olavo de Carvalho. One of the things he, he said. Partially, for the the the, the for uh, calling people's attention, but it's true. He said, "Science never, ever refers to anything real. There's not. It's impossible. Science cannot talk about real things." And it, what does he mean by that? It's not metaphorical. He says, by definition, science. Has to define its object, right? So, for example, science is going to measure uh, the mass of an apple, and oh, I know the mass, and with knowing the mass and knowing the speed, I can know the force that the, the apple is going to impact if it okay. But so this so this is physics. If physics physics has to define what they are talking about, but guess what? The, the apple of the physics doesn't exist. It's an abstraction. The real thing is not that. Then you also have the apple of biology. So it's a fruit, uh, and then it's going to fall from the tree. The seeds are going to use that subtract to start its process. So the, the apple of the biology is a step in a process. Mm-hmm. That's not everything that the apple is.
1: Exactly, it's still an abstraction.
0: Yes, it's still an abstraction, and every and you have the apple of the economy, and then you have the apple of chemistry. How does it interact with the other? So the apple of chemistry doesn't exist. The apple of physics doesn't exist. the the The, the apple of economy doesn't exist. The apple of biology doesn't exist. They're they're very useful. He's not saying that these things are not useful. They're very useful. They're very useful. It's obvious. But we are under the delusion. It's a delusion. It, it's craziness that these things are real. They are not real. Yeah. They are not real by definition. So science is never, never. by the, if, if science test, I'm talking about something real, this is delusional. It's not science. That's what happened, for example, in the pandemics. Why it created such tension? Because they were not dealing with real people. They were dealing with people
1: of biology, which are not real. They don't exist. It's a total inversion of the old world understanding of the human experience. The human experience is embodied, right? We experience Mm. it in part because of the truth of biology. There is a truth about my embodiment, but that Mm. doesn't speak to the, complete and totality of my existence. And I think religion, mm-hmm. terrible word, is that which speaks to totality, to to the wholeness. And when mm-hmm. you get rid of it as a concept in, in culture, what you end up is a delusion. You have a culture built on delusion, which if we're right, yikes, the delusion can go, all, a nightmare can go as far as it wants to go. It can create any kind of images if you really want to stretch it out, right? Which is scary on some level.
0: Yeah, and uh, and this is so unreal that today we are in the in this radical crazy point where people uh, they don't know what men and women are anymore. I mean, it's so crazy. <laughs> it's because they don't deal with the real thing. They don't deal with the real thing. They deal with abstractions. And uh, and you were talking about concreteness. There is another guy uh, called Wolfgang Smith. He he is a philosopher and a, a physicist and a Thomist and um, and and he, I mean he's the real thing. I mean he worked in MIT. He is responsible for some of the formulas that allow satellites to be there. You know, so he's the real deal. And and he talks about that that. Science took a, you know, a, a, a very negative turn when they forgot that they are not dealing with corporeality. So they think they are talking about real things, and the real things are not that. And now it's 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 that's why we have this. I mean, this very uh,
1: cruel psychologically society that we have today right i like that phrase it's a cruel psychology it keeps mm-hmm. drawing people away from their actual being it yes. keeps putting us into places we try to define ourselves according to the abstraction wow it's mm-hmm. dangerous yeah, and this is math- this, this is so and in brazil then do you see syncretism as a as a way to retain sanity or as an Orthodox Christian, do you see it as an impossibility because everything becomes lumped in this perennialist fashion? How, how, do, how do you see it?
0: Now, I think that the solution is already given in in, in the Orthodox tradition. It's St. Bezos. We, we have to go from a scientific, positivistic uh, eclecticism to a basilian eclecticism because uh saint bezos on his letter to the youth he 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 tackles that problem and he says you have to uh and, and paul also talks about that he says everything uh, i don't know how to say that in english he says everything is made new uh, no it's not made new everything uh permissible but not everything is
1: um it's
0: good i don't remember yeah yeah that. yeah
1: yeah. Everything is possible, but not everything is good. Essentially, that's yeah. the, that, I'm forgetting the quote, so, too, but yes. Yeah,
0: and, and St. Basil, he says, too, I mean, you should study all the philosophers and take what's good from them and and live out what's bad. And revelation will be the criteria because that, the problem is from a modern perspective, from a new world's perspective, revelation is just another cultural craziness. Yeah. But I mean, in the real sense, revelation is reality expressing itself. So Saint Peter is calling people to be realistic,
1: right? Uh, and, talk and about reality. this. But talk about this for one second. What is the aperture or the means by which one is attentive to revelation to things revealed? It's not our mm-hmm. eyes. It's not necessarily our senses. So, if you're right, revelation is essential to understanding reality. How does one get the ability? How does one get trained in revelation? Is, it, is, is that prayer? Is that asceticism? Yeah. It,
0: it's it's prayer, asceticism, and, and, and fasting. You know, and 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 charity. It's it's what in, in the gospel. Because the problem is, this is not something that we have to learn how to do, mm. this is natural. Mm. We have to unlearn the things that are obstacles to this natural expression. We have to take things out, not add things. That's right. You know? So uh, it's, it's. you probably know the concept of, of noose. And then I don't know if you are. us you are yeah. Nus, yeah. And nus is, is an orthodox concept of uh, of the, the vision of the divine, which is not, it doesn't come through dialectic rationality. I mean, comparison, that's what, dialectic rationality is what we do all the time. we right. we, we reason. Reason means ratio. You compare things, and that's also dialectics. So when you're comparing things, and by, you know, successive comparisons, investigation, you come to truth. Uh, so, but news happens before that, not under that. It's not inferior. It comes before that. And that's how, for example, you that's how you will see God if you ever get that in this life. But for example, when a saint tells to you your life, he's not reading your mind. He's not Professor X or X-Men, you know, he's not reading your mind. He's just seeing you the same way that Adam saw the animals. How did Adam knew? And how did he know the, the names of animals? It's because it's not that he knows the name. Oh, he's a dog. He's a He's a That's not what he's doing. Knowing the name means he knew what they were. Yeah, yeah. And he could name it. And it's not by investigation. It's just by looking, oh, here is this creature. Okay? And um, So when a saint knows our lives, that's what he's doing. He looks at us and he sees us completely. And our path is part of who we are. And our possible futures are part of who we are. So that's what
1: they see. And it Uh, it has to do with that saint's relationship to revelation. They're not investigating and naming they're revealing that which already exists because of their relationship to the divine. And so they're almost like breathing, it's it's almost like a they're they're repeating into the world that which already exists. And you're like, wow, that's really cool. But it, you already knew it too. You just hadn't you hadn't entered that 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 stillness in order mm-hmm. to see clearly, something like that. That's the way I think.
0: Yes. Yeah, and that philosopher that I told you about, Olav de Carvalho, he has a concept that is very important. He was Roman Catholic, he, he was not orthodox, mm-hmm. and he, he actually he didn't, I think he didn't like orthodoxy too much because he had lots of prejudices regarding Russia. But uh, mm. but he had an idea that was it's very important. He called it radical intuition. Mm. And radical intuition, he said. It's the immediate perception of truth, and by immediate, he he, is not talking about speed. He's talking. There is no mediation. He says that's the only way that we know things, because uh, when, for example, if you use reason and you use a a syllogism, okay, to know that something is true. So what's the? I mean, the most the most well known syllogism. uh, Every man is mortal. Socrates is the man, therefore Socrates is mortal. Okay? If you transform this into a, a more logical statement, it's just like saying every A is B, C is A, therefore C is B. Okay? Okay, we can see that this is true, even in this mathematical expression. That does not refer to anything uh, concrete like mortality, man, Socrates, anything. So, Olavo asks, how do you know that a certain reasoning is real and true? It's not by reasoning, it's by immediate perception. It's by immediate perception. So, and, and therefore, he echoes what orthodoxy actually teaches. He says, reasoning and
1: dialectics, they help radical intuition. They help God. radical intuition. They, they are assistance, but they're not the foundation. Yes, he says, everything that you truly know,
0: everything that you truly know, you only know by radical intuition. And I I would say, making this more orthodox, he doesn't use the word news. I said that news, because in in orthodox, you also use news a lot, as if we are only talking about God, as noetic vision of God. But actually, it's through the news that we see reality, and that's why we are so much deluded. It's because, I mean, we uh, 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 we don't see reality as it is really, and and we don't see the loggy of things, which is ultimately what gives them reality. Wow. And, mm, there's, and the there's, those,
1: there's a connection here to, to, to poetry. Mm. I, I'd like to help people with this by saying, when you read a poem, you're reading words that are about something else, actually. The words are not the point of the poem. The poem is a manifestation or a revelation of a of a of a deeper reality of a noetic reality, and I like what you say. the noose is not just for God, it's for all the visions that God has created for us in the grass in the sun, in other words, we can see all of reality properly when mm-hmm. we are noetic first mm-hmm. and rational second yeah, wow what yes yeah I-
0: and um. Uh- And and it's very interesting. He also used to say, he said, nobody should go into philosophy or theology without having a profound and deep experience in literature. First poetry, first poetry. Is that right? Okay. Yes, he said, first poetry. And that's based on his theory of how the mind works and how Aristotle organized his works. Because he had a book which exists in English. People can buy it on Amazon. It's called The Theory of the Four Discourses, Aristotle, Aristotle and the Theory of the Four Discourses by Olavo de Carvalho, everybody should buy it. And he claims that uh, because everybody knows that Aristotle had the works, uh, poetics, um, rhetoric, uh, dialectics, and logic. And he says, actually, these are not four different words. These are four volumes of the same work, mm. which he says, he, he, he believes that Aristotle had a theory, uh, a theory of four discourses, and he said, which is which also related to the potentiality of manifestation. He says, um, poetics deals with possibilities. What is possible? So, for example, in theory, A unicorn is possible, a dragon is possible. There's no intrinsic impossibility in in these ideas. But then rhetoric starts uh, comparing these possibilities and will defend one possibility against the other. That's what rhetoric does, defends positions. So rhetoric will go from the possible to the plausible right? And then dialectics, we will get everything that's plausible and we we'll start comparing it to get what is true, what really exists. And then logic we will get everything that is real and we will systematize it. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. right? So right here, right here, if Olav is, is correct and I, I think he is, It's the one big difference from the old world to the new world. Logic never gives you truth. It organizes the truths that are already known, but you cannot learn truth from logic. That's right. You cannot learn truth from logic. You can organize the truths that you know from logic.
1: Take us through, maybe finish up. There's so many ideas here, but they're rich, this old world, new world idea. So you're this kind of a unicorn in Brazil. You you have entered into the Orthodox way of seeing the world, you hope, you're Orthodox. Uh-huh. You profess this, many people would say, uh, an old world view of, of, of life, but it's from sort of uh-huh. Eastern Europe or something. And then you're in this uniquely synchristic, syncretic, syncretic, Culture. How are you doing? How do you unify your worldview in Brazil? Is it easy? Is it hard? What's your experience there? You, I mean, it, I mean, every every
0: step towards truth in this world is a step towards the cross. There is no way out. There is no way out, and that that means that you progressively lose the masses you will lose people who are close to you yeah. and eventually some of them will act ask for your crucifixion it hasn't happened yet thank god but um but you don't have i mean people don't treat you the same don't treat you the same because you are odd you're odd and that's mm-hmm. part of it i mean the, the, the point is i think we we, we care too much it's not that we want to be accepted, but we also complain too much about not being accepted. There's a point you have to say. Uh, the good thing too is I'm getting older. I'm getting older, and and the older you get, the more the more you say "act this," you know. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it's it's an important, it's an important skill. It's an important skill. I mean, it's I'm going this direction. Are you coming with me? If you're not, and and it's also I mean something that I've noticed that Christians have forgot today. That there are many points where Christ does exactly that. This is what we're doing. Are you coming with us or not? Especially when you go to John six, <clears throat> John chapter six, he uh, he explains that nobody. It's it's he's a radical fundamentalist. <laughs> what mm-hmm. crazy! I mean, it, doesn't he know that we're in new times now? He says that nobody. Who does not eat of his flesh and who does not drink of his blood will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Period. He's a radical fundamentalist. What's he doing? What's he doing? He's visiting gurus in Athos. What's his problem?
1: You know? <laughs> gurus in Athos. <And, laughs>
0: yeah. And um, so and then people leave and the, the Apostle said, that's hard. That's hard, Master. That's a hard saying. His answer is not, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, we should adapt to the times and should adapt to the hearts of the people. It's, it's unmerciful to, to give them that. No, his, his response to the Apostles is, are you going to leave me too? You can go. And then, uh, and then I think it's Philip. I'm not sure. I think it's Philip. And then he says, no, Master, we, we don't have anywhere to go. So we're, we're going to follow you. And that is the Christian response to hard sayings and to hard situations. Because the point is, we don't have control over what's happening in the world today. And it's going to get worse. I mean, we have to be prepared to become marginalized. We are the margin today. We're not. I mean, the point is, a, a lot of Christians they live under the delusion that we're still at the center of society.
1: Yeah, this is so that, interesting. Yes,
0: and, and, and oh, we had to save society. Sorry, society was lost at least a hundred years ago, if not more. I, I personally believe that the old world was, I mean, died for good in World War One. That's my personal opinion. World War One. World War I was like the shot to the head, to the old to the world, you know? And everything from there is something completely different. Um, but we're not. I mean, we're no longer at the center. We, are, we have been on the margins for a long time. And we are going to be second-class citizens. <laughs> don't, don't, don't be fooled. I mean, people shouldn't be fooled about that. So I mean in, in, in Brazil it has particularities. I mean why I mean you want to go only to your church why don't you go to other things to see other things to participate in other things um, it's it's um, you have to politely decline you don't have to be uh, you know you, you really don't have to be aggressive to anyone is this
1: so let me let me give an alternate voice. And I don't I don't claim to be this person, but isn't orthodoxy in Brazil about bringing puritism to Brazil? Now I don't I don't believe that, but how would you answer that? It sounds I like don't... you're willing to be a Puritan in a place that's really no, good at, I, I, at being synchronous. I would like
0: to be, I would like to be a, a Brazilian eclectic. I mean, I would like I, I think the eclecticism is not bad in itself. I'm Brazilian. I, I... I don't think it's bad in itself, but I think that there is a, a an orthodox way of being eclectic, which is which is defined by Saint Basil. Which mm-hmm. is defined by Saint Basil. And but that still has to, I mean, you still put revelation as the criteria, and that's the point. It's not my judgment. It's not what I think is is correct, what I think it's. I have to first know what the church. Teaches about revelation, and that needs obedience, humility, and 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 silence for some time. You have to hear and learn. Once you have this, then you can back. Can you can go back to the world, and using these things as the rule, you measure what's correct, what's not correct. Right. Well, for example. Um, uh, Brazilian culture is much more affectionate that, than Northern European cultures, and this is also something that has been identified by sociologists, even people. I mean, so even scientific people, they say Brazilians are, are, are far more affectionate in general in their personal relations, and this is good. This is, I mean, I I, I I I I have been to the United States, I have lived in England, I have been to Europe, and so at least from these Western societies they have experienced a few of them and and I think that in terms of individual personal relationships and how we deal with each other I, I, I think Brazil is one of the healthiest places in the world you know
1: and uh, so you can take that on <laughs> that's yeah. something that's something as St basil says something that you would want to embrace and not not reject. Yes.
0: Yeah, so that's it. I mean, we just don't have to be affectionate with everything, because that's the point. Brazilians will will treat everything with this uh uh the, I think it's Darcy Ribeiro, the sociologist, he says Brazilian is the cordial man, not cordial in the sense of being polite, but cordial from the root of the word, the heart. cord, because cordial mm-hmm. comes from the heart. So Brazilian is the man of the heart. So it's a good beginning. It's a good beginning. And but it's directed I mean you are warm and affectionate with things that you shouldn't be with them to, to be honest I mean um it's very difficult for anyone to criticize sin because even if you do something cordial polite and everything the point is oh you're not accepting and of course uh this already existed before the current times but has been kind of
1: reinforced with this new mm-hmm. uh, so happening. Let's just end on this. How given the <clears throat> sort of parameters of our big conversation on Watar all the time, um, places where we work, where we send people to do field work, and we, we might be doing it in Brazil, God willing, if it works out. And uh, I know there's a potential invite there to a uh, favela, but we're we're like pretty dipped in some old world cultures. How would you characterize Brazil? The, the parameters being Old world is something like pre-Enlightenment. It's something like uh let's just go with um sort of tribe before nation, something like that. Uh and then the new world being enlightenment scientific values. How would you characterize Brazil? Old world, new world, or, or right down the middle?
0: As as in most things, Brazil is right down the middle. I mean, yeah. uh Brazil is pretty rooted in the world, in the old world. I mean because you have to remember that when portugal started the first global empire portugal started the first global empire they were just out of the middle ages in fact you can claim that they were still in the middle ages
1: yeah yeah
0: so uh, it's 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 a it's it's a culture i mean a lot of people they say that brazilian is a medieval culture because um, when you have You have this big, powerful man who give favors to the people and the people in in, in exchange uh, legitimate this person or not, right? Even even the criminals, even the narco-terrorists who are in the favelas, they do social work in the favelas. Did you know that? They do. Because basically, they are violent medieval leaders. Yeah. That's what they are you know and uh and if you go especially to the northeast there are many uh studies there i mean you still have bards there they work with cordels, which are epic poetry that they write there and it's one of the features of there is that right uh, yeah, yeah that's nice and uh and uh, uh, just just as an observation i mean the most uh the, mo- the the classic work in this literature they have there it's the mis- um we have the problem studios. It's the poem of the of the mystery peacock, which is the story of the mystical peacock, mystery mystery peacock, mystery peacock, because it's the story of some um, I don't remember if they're Greek farmers or Greek lords. I think they're Greek lords, Greek nobles. They go to the Ottoman Empire. It, this is happening in northeast Brazil, right? <laughs> That's where the story came out crazy. So, so one of them, he goes to, to, to the Ottoman Empire, and there's a Greek princess there. Uh, she only, uh, she's only seen by the people. Her father only shows her to the people once in a year. And he falls in love. And she's in a tower, of course. And uh so he he falls in love, he wants to marry her. So he gets he, he gathers all his money, he goes there, and um he hires, he hires um, an inventor who creates a mechanical flying peacock that he, he uses to fly to the tower to meet her. And then many adventures happen. Uh, he kidnaps her. The, 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 the Ottoman, uh, I don't think it's, a, I don't know if it's a sultan or a duke or something. He gets angry. I mean, adventures issue. issue and at the end, of course, he marries her. But uh, it's this is totally medieval. This is totally medieval, you know, yeah, romance, it feels adventure. And I think, and I, what what I, I I think it's very surprising. It's it's almost a Byzantine thematic. What what what, what is it doing there? I don't know. I don't know. I, I I don't do research on this this stuff. Maybe somebody knows, but I don't know
1: why. But it's something it's, you're proud of. This. This inclination yeah. toward the old in Brazil, you can feel it. Yes. It's there.
0: Yeah. Another, another, another uh, tendency to 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 the old is Brazil's independence was not against monarchy. It was to defend monarchy. Because Brazil, when Brazil got independence, I mean, the story the story goes, uh, Napoleon started his thing in Europe. When he was about to get to Portugal, uh, King John uh, he said, I'm not I'm not going to stay here to die. And they and he then he, he actually executed an old plan that Portugal had to move to Brazil. Hmm. So King and all the court, all the court, thousands of people, they moved to Rio de Janeiro in 1810. 1810. And uh, in 1815. He actually emancipated Brazil to, to become one of the kingdoms of the United Kingdom of Portugal, Brazil, and Algarves. So and so Rio de Janeiro was the capital of a global European empire. And this and this the throne was here in Rio, and Portugal was actually our, not our colony, but they were yeah. a subsidiary
1: kingdom. Because the king was here, the king and, was here. And so the, the, the identification of Brazil became possible because they were retaining the monarchy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the point is the plan that that uh, King John had he, he, he kind of saw what was happening in Europe. and he said, you know what? Europe is lost. And when he saw Napoleon he had seen the French Revolution, he saw that yeah. he saw Napoleon, he said, you know what? if France, which is the central Europe, is going that way. It means Europe is lost. Let's start, let's continue what we have in South America. So his plan is, let's protect the old world by taking it to South America yeah, and restart there, and restart there. And when all the revolutions in South America started and all the countries started getting independent and everything... Uh, King John said to his son, Peter, he said, "It's better that this country becomes independent under you, than and, and it and it stays unified. Then it breaks down into several countries under these crazy revolutionaries. Yep. and that's what was done. That that's what was done. So when they decided to go on with the independence, because I mean, independence started because." I mean, King John had, was forced to return by the oligarchies in Portugal and the oligarch, the liberals, it was the liberals. So the liberals in Portugal, uh, they wanted all the liberal values for Portugal. But Brazil had to go back to a colony status and lose everything. It had gained as a kingdom. And then the Brazilian oligarchy said, well, we actually don't, don't want that. <laughs> And uh, so they got together with Peter, who was the prince, and he said, "Okay, you you, you're going to be the emperor," and then an independence process started.
1: Right. Well, so uh, let's 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 stop there for for now. And Mm -hmm. what we'll do is we'll bring you back to -hmm. give us perspective as the world continues to uh, sort of decide how modern and postmodern it wants to be at any given moment. (laughs) And um, I think your voice in Brazil becomes a type of a canary in the coal mine for us. We can hear, uh, we can hear a voice that, that teaches us a lot, I think over here in America, but also you got this unique sort of orthodox mindset in a world where there's very few of you. And I think that produces a lot of clarity and wisdom on some level. Yeah. And it's partisan, we get a little partisan on Watar sometimes. So mm. we're thankful to you, Fabio. Thank you. Keep 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 teaching, keep writing. And we're gonna call you our resident Brazilian philosopher. This was really, oh, wow. really interesting. Um, so thank you. We'll see you again. And um, for the most part, uh keep in touch with us. Mm-hmm. And I hope to get down there and and maybe even start some work in Brazil. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, that 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 would be great. I hope we do. Okay. God bless. Take care. This is Watar. You know, www.first-things.org. That's where you find Watar and a lot of other stuff, including hmm, our field work, which is a direct assistance to local impresarios. Those are people with amazing ideas, but also Trapped in some pretty isolated and impoverished communities. www.first-things.org. Check us out and come back to Watar. Nakwamdeis au revoir. jusqu'à la prochaine fois, kambufo. See you later.